In recent years, the uh, rise of digital media and the explosion of amateur news reporting has given rise to a whole new set of ethical issues and ethical lapses. Some of these are simply thoughtless, but others are intentionally devious. Uh, the Ethics Center is fighting back uh, through the Trust Project in journalism ethics. Thanks to our funding partners, Craig Newmark, who is here, uh, Google, uh, and the Markala family, we anticipated this issue three years ago. And we are creating tools that will help journalists to adhere to better ethics standards and enable news consumers to identify trustworthy reporting. At the forefront of this on our team, uh, on our staff, is Sally Lehrman, the Center's Director of Journalism Ethics, the former Knight Ritter Professor uh, of Journalism and Society at Santa Clara, and she will lead the discussion on fake facts tonight So, with our two distinguished presenters. So, Sally, would you like to come up? So it's, go ahead and find a seat. It is such a pleasure to be here with you tonight, and thanks to Kirk for featuring this project. And with me tonight are Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist, who is also the founding sponsor of the Trust Project, and Richard Jingris, who is vice president news of Google. And I will tell you more about them in a minute. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Trust Project first, just to give you some grounding. And I want to thank you two for both being here tonight. So you could say that journalism is in crisis. The information that the public counts upon can't be accountable. The trust in news has declined to its lowest level since the Gallup polls first started asking questions about it. People, only 32% of the public said they have a great deal or to fair amount of trust that the news media will report the news fully, accurately, and fairly. One reason is that it's hard to discern what you're looking at when you're getting news through social media, when you're getting it online through search. When, you, when you're catching your news on the mobile phone or on a screen on your computer, it's hard to tell where it came from. What journalism values does it represent? So the idea of the Trust Project is to, to provide signals, indicators of trustworthiness that make it easy for the public to identify qual quality news, to identify integrity out of this chaos online, and also make it easy for news platforms such as Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, to be able to, to elevate quality out of all this information that they're sorting through and presenting to you. So the thought is that we want to make it easy for the public and the news platforms. Here's how it might look on your phone. So you might find a symbol, a T, let's say, a trust mark, to show that this news organization is committed to the principles behind the trust project. You could find out, do they have an ethics policy? Do they have a corrections policy? What is their diversity policy? What is their commitment to diversity? Do they fix their mistakes? How are they funded? When, they, when did they first begin? You could learn about the reporter. You could find out what this person's ex expertise is, what is their background, and where did this information come from? 
As part of our process, we've built a network of nearly 70 news organizations from around the world who are working with us to identify what are these indicators of trustworthiness. And we're working with the public, too, to understand what people value in the news, what do they need, and when do they find their trust broken. We also have platforms involved, so the technologists who are distributing the news, including Google, Facebook, Bing, have all agreed to use these indicators, and there will be more, I'm sure. So now what I'd like to do is start our conversation and first introduce you to these two wonderful people who have supported this project from the very beginning. And they've invested a great deal in the restoration of quality, trustworthy press that the public can count upon. So Craig Newmark. No doubt you've heard of Craig from Craigslist, the networking website he founded that connects everything everybody to everything that they might need, whether it's a job, a volunteer opportunity, a plumber, a microwave. But what you may not know is that Craig has an unshakable and profound commitment to journalism as the engine of democracy. I met him when he was giving a talk at Stanford on the need for trustworthy, accountable news. Since then, he has not only supported our work, but he's also become a major supporter of other efforts to fight news hoaxes and to ensure that the public gets real facts and information. Richard Gingras, vice president of news at Google, has supported the Trust Project also from the very part. In fact, sorry, from the very start, excuse me, from the very start. In fact, he was part of the original idea. Um, when we first came to the idea, it was Richard and I were having breakfast together. Since then, well, let me tell you, he has a distinguished track record in news and digital media, even before it was called that. He led Salon.com, he's worked at Apple, the At Home Network, and Excite, among others. Richard works actively and tirelessly in many ways to promote quality in news, quality in global journalism, including very active personal support. For the Trust Project, he is a powerful evangelist and can always be accounted upon for expert advice and encouragement. So thank you again for both being here. And now we're going to start a conversation about fake facts and what can be done to build trust in the news. So first I wanted to start with, what do you, why do you see it as so critical to challenge fake facts on the Internet? And I'm going to let uh, you start, Richard. Well, it's obviously of extraordinary importance. And I think we have to recognize that when we talk about, quotes fake news, it's not simply the, you know, the absolutely crafted fake material, right? There was an interesting study out of MIT Media Lab that studied media over the course of the last year and its impact on the election. And what they found was that the, by far the major impact wasn't, quotes fake, fake news. It was hyperpartisan news that deals in half-truths or misrepresented facts. Why is this important? Um, I think the unfortunate thing that we need to recognize is that, is that this is really, in a sense, a symptom of a larger problem. It's a symptom of, of people's loss of sense of agency, a loss of trust in institutions, a loss of trust in the, in the press. We have to address this, and I, think, I, don't, I don't think it's at all hyperbolic to suggest that the future of our democracies are really at stake here, right? I mean, democracies work when you have the means to create bridges between divergent views. 
But here we are in a world of the Internet where it is so easy to create not divergent views but divergent realities. How do we bridge that? And clearly the role of the press is key. Uh, and so I think it's really incumbent upon us, all in our own way, whether it be Google or news organizations, to really help rethink, you know, what can journalism be? How does it present itself? Which is clearly what the Trust Project has been about since the very beginning. But I fear if we don't do that, if we can't figure out how to evolve these institutions in new and different ways, then again, I think the basics of our democracies are at risk. What about you? Uh, I'm not uh, all that smart. But in Sunday school, they told us uh, something about uh, not bearing false witness. And I'm a nerd old school, and I'm very literal. In the high school history, this was 1970, Mr. Shulsky taught us what amounts to that uh, trustworthy press is the immune system of democracy. And so you need an active uh, press going around getting things right. Emotionally, and I've just barely begun admitting this, um, I was the subject of a fake news attack about uh, seven years ago, collateral damage of a uh, rather wealthy guy who wanted to uh, uh, avoid making a plea bargain. Uh, So it was a successful diversionary maneuver, but uh, I'm still dealing with it. But also in Sunday school, I learned that it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. So that's why it's better to mount this constructive effort, finding people a lot smarter than I am and helping them out. And then my job is to uh, get out of the way. Unless I think I'm being funny. Of course, I know I'm not as funny as I think I am. Of course, he's actually very funny, as you can tell. So what we're hearing, and I think you would all agree, that really trust in the news is vital and fundamental to democracy. And Craig has talked a little bit about why you have engaged in this whole effort of trying to restore trust in the news. And one of the things I want to ask you is just what do you think can be done? You're supporting the Trust Project. But what do you think will restore trust in the news? As, we, as you pointed out, this is a huge problem. Uh, this is the uh, very short version. Uh, and it's all about, uh, well, trustworthy journalism, by which I mean really just journalists and so on acting in good faith. Because sometimes you get it wrong, but if you fix it in a reasonable way, you know, that works for me. So the Trust Project helps explain what it means for reporting to be done in good faith. Um, right now there's also an emerging effort among advertising networks to adopt a code of ethics so that they won't support with advertising, you know, news sites or organizations which act in bad faith. Uh, The platforms are doing things now to make it easy for us as news consumers to say, maybe just show me the stuff which is done in good faith, you know, or if I'm seeing something done in bad faith, a pop-up can appear saying, hey, this thing is really uh, shady. And finally, we're beginning to see the emergence of a network of networks of fact-checkers who are the people who will do the trust but verify thing uh, with the uh, added proviso that they will make their work transparent so you, everyone gets the fact-check, the fact-checkers. 
That's the beginning of a long story. I'll stop there. You've worked with news organizations from around the world and talking about this very problem. So what do you think will restore trust in the news? Well, I think it's, first of all, important to recognize there are no silver bullets to these problems. Right? They're, they're very difficult and very challenging. But I do think at core it requires us to, in a sense, reinvent journalism as it's performed and as it's presented. Uh, and part of that is indeed a greater transparency. Uh, it's not enough anymore uh, to be just about the brand, for instance. The New York Times is competing on equal footing with bloggers, with bad state actors, putting out propaganda, and so on. So how even can they provide greater transparency about their work? Not to point just at the New York Times. Greater understanding of the reporter um, and their own expertise. Why do they know what they know? Uh, can we take and begin to replicate some models that have been used in academia and show, in a sense, more footnoting behind the work? Again, why do they reach the conclusions they reach? Uh, can we rethink and, and bring more data-driven knowledge into the equation so that our conclusions about important stories aren't simply based on anecdote? You know, I think one of our challenges today in news media is, in a sense, disproportionate coverage. You know, I couldn't help but note a few weeks ago with the Parliament attack in London, you know, there was wall-to-wall coverage on our cable news networks for three days. And on those same three days, by the way, each of those three days were mass shootings in the United States of four or more people. How do we give people a greater sense of context of what's important? I believe at core that the role of journalism is to give citizens the tools and information they need to be good citizens, Right? That's what we owe them, and that's what we need for our own societies. And so we need to give them that information so that when they go to the polls, they have a greater sense of context. Now, look, let's be realistic. There are people at extreme ends of the political spectrum that are going to believe what they believe. I think our hope, I think your hope, is can we evolve journalism in such a way that we can, we can hit that, that big middle, and I hope it's a big middle, of discerning readers, of people who are open to new knowledge and open to drawing conclusions that make sense for the common good. Again, not easy, but here too, what the Trust Project, you know, you, starting more than two and a half years ago, were looking at the questions that are now deemed to be so crucially important. Uh, and clearly it's going to take time to get there. But I think at core efforts like the Trust Project, efforts of innovation in journalism around the world, we are seeing a renaissance in creativity and news is absolutely crucial to us even approaching the solutions we're going to need as, as societies and as healthy democracies. And as, as you pointed out, it really is so important to have the public involved too and to have provide tools that make it possible for the public to make their own decisions about what is quality and whom to trust based on important and clear information about where this is coming from. Exactly. And Craig, you talked a little bit about why you got involved in the area of trust and trust, trustworthy news. But you've, and you've expanded the work that you've done. So why have you really dived in to such a great extent into this area? It just feels like it's the, uh, well, the right time over a period of years. I stumbled onto this area ten and a half years ago. I can date it because there was an Aspen Institute thing. And again, the uh, memories of lessons that I've learned in the past just kept uh, echoing with me. And those lessons were, uh, I was reminded of on uh, Election Day, 
And we really do need, as a country, to uh, meet what might be this existential crisis of getting good and accurate information. And how about you, Richard? You're also so deeply motivated and interested in this area and really working so hard. So tell us about what... What's behind well, this? I think there are a few things. You know, when I, when I was a kid, my dad kept the presses running at the Providence Journal. Um, and that sort of started my fascination in the whole notion of publishing, of how do you support and enable broad expression. I carried that forward in my work at PBS, in my work at Apple, and obviously now at Google. So that was from a technological perspective. It was how do you enable expression in new and different ways. But secondly, and I think what was in a sense quite deeply profound. Uh, my wife, Mitzi Trumbo, is with me here this, this evening. Her father, Dalton Trumbo, uh, was blacklisted in the 50s during the Hollywood, uh, during the communist witch hunts. He spent a year in prison. He spent a year in prison because before Congress, when asked whether or not he had been a member of the Communist Party, he didn't answer, he didn't plead the fifth right? because he felt, this is not about my incriminating myself. He pleaded the First Amendment. He said, the First Amendment allows me to have free political thought without being challenged by our governments. That case, he was found guilty of contempt of Congress, and the Supreme Court upheld that. He spent a year in jail. And what was that lesson? The lesson was, you know, we think of our constitutional principles as being somehow etched in granite such that they will never change, but they are indeed extraordinarily fragile. And I think we, you know, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago, but we see that every day today, how fragile these constitutional principles are, how fragile the, the, the simple respect for the fourth estate and its role in, in, in democratic societies, uh, you know, can or cannot be upheld. And so that's what drives me. It's that pure passion for how do we take and move things forward in constructive ways and whatever little that I can do uh, to, to help make that move forward. Well, what a powerful example, Mitzi, and what a powerful um, story you both have, what powerful stories, and thank you so much for the effort you put into this and your example. So please join me in thanking our two supporters. But I just want to—I want to thank Sally. I mean, her work has been just remarkable. Uh, the support of the Markless Center has been just remarkable. I just can't say enough uh, how important it is, and I all be very proud of your efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't, why don't you all stay there? You would. I've asked uh, Craig and Richard to to stay in their chairs for a moment. Um, uh, with, with the chair's prerogative, you actually left two minutes in your time, Sally. How close are we to having the tools to actually give us a measure of the trustworthiness of the news that we consume? Well, it's hard to say because it simply isn't about tools, right? This is about, this is about again, rethinking processes, rethinking principles, and then having them adopted broadly. So as Sally well knows... You know, it, it's been great to have 80 extraordinarily 
powerful news organizations from around the world involved in it. And some of the world's great editors-in-chiefs, Marty Baron from the Washington Post, David Walmsley from the Globe and Mail, Mario Calabresi from La Parbulca. So it's not just about the tools. It's how do we change, in a sense, the cultures of how news organizations work. That will take time. But what we need and why it's so important to have those folks involved is, you know, what works best is having the great leadership examples and case studies of others. And I think once we get those in place, then hopefully things can broaden and, 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 and populate from there. Are you optimistic, Craig? I'm optimistic about seeing the first uh, useful results uh, this year. Again, uh, the trust project seems to be ahead of uh, most other efforts. Mm-hmm. I think that goes to the wisdom of the three of you in identifying now three years ago that this was an important problem and getting started. And as as Craig indicates, there will be an announcement this summer of the launch of some of these core tools that that you all have been developing. So uh, on behalf of all of us here, uh, but particularly the Markelis Center, I want to thank Sally and and Craig and Richard for for what they are accomplishing here.